0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to CritCast. This is the podcast that offers the personal side behind the persona of world-leading athletes and performers. We are for the athletes, for the fans, and for the future. Now, this week, we've got a very special guest. He's featured on the podcast before in a little collaboration between our two uh, platforms and companies. Um, His name is Alfie Manforth. He represents TrackStar.
1: Alfie, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I guess this is sort of a collaboration podcast, so I guess we're both technically the hosts. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing great. It feels nice that we've finally been able to speak about connection issues, at least I hope so. I don't want to speak too soon because we've done this no. intro once before, but yeah, I'm good. I feel like we've got a good topic to speak about
0: today and I think it's something I think we both feel strongly about. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to be a good chat. Agreed. I think it's, you know, the topic itself um, from the top, as you can tell by the title, is what would you like to see in track and field in t- the year of 2022? Now, over the last couple of years, I feel like Um, especially on our own spaces, we've seen uh, some things in track and field work really well, some things not work so well, and actually um, sometimes a lack of even trying. So I think that this conversation is really important for us to sort of pick up on and, and something that's actually got Really good engagement and really good traction, um, you know, with the with both of our communities as well. So super excited to share the ideas that we have as forward thinkers, as well as those um, of the fans and the athletes as well. Just before we jump into that, Alfie, because we've got a lot of um, you know content to get through. Um, it is the new year. I wanted to bring up a little timely topic, um, is around New Year's resolutions. Now, have you set yourself any New Year's resolutions, and do you usually stick to them? So. It's a
1: new thing for me, actually. And Before, my New Year's resolutions have sort of always been, like, you know, iffy. Like, I've never really stuck to them. I've never really, really set any. I'd actually even even written any down this year either. Um, but I have actually set some in terms of, like, I think normal goals, like within myself, and then also resolutions within Traxa. So I guess just to quickly break break them down a bit, I would say my normal ones have, have been stop procrastinating as much in the day that's number one for me and also like trying to shift what i do in the nighttime a few hours earlier because i'd end up like it does relate to running i'd end up stretching doing tracks to work doing loads of stuff at like 10 p.m 9 p.m and it just wasn't good for anything really mental health physical health terrible so that's one and then also another personal one is my eating I'm going to try really hard to like eat perfectly, which is a bit of a strange one because I think everything's fine in moderation. But I just sort of want to do it as sort of a test as well because Christmas eating didn't treat me very well. So now <laughs> I never, need to sort never of get really like does, does it? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the first session after Christmas, I just bailed on it after two reps. Just stopped. Just wasn't wasn't working. So and then to wise, um, I think it's having a bit more of a structure because I'm sure you like like the same. You've got so many ideas; it's hard to actually implement them especially without a structure so now trying to get a structure so then I can work on things what I wouldn't normally work on so like I'm forcing myself to work on things whereas before I neglect them like growing a Facebook presence for example on tracks don't want to do that so I've set aside time for that and so yeah they're my goals and I'm I'm guessing you've got some as well seeing as though it was the first
0: question. It sounds good. It was the first question. I think, you know, sometimes um, there's always uh, mixed views on New Year's resolutions. I I feel that um, over that New Year period, you're like, right, new start, you know, uh, New Year, new me, all of that sort of um, cliche sort of thing. But I think often it is a really good way to um, review what you've done in that year, reflect a little bit and then then push forward. Um, For myself, still in full-time work. So um, it's always that balance with, um, you know, working full-time in sales and, then uh, trying to do as much as you can at the weekends at events. So um, yeah, my my evenings, I guess, you know, you're bringing it back. I'm I'm trying to manage my time a bit better in the evening so that everything that I'm doing is working towards um, improving the sport. So yeah, it's always going to be a challenge, obviously got the merchandise up and up and running now, which is really exciting. And just doing, you know, as, as many projects as possible throughout the year. And, and one of the one of the things especially, and I'm sure we'll talk about money in this podcast, but actually really valuing what you're doing. Um, and I think there's enough people out there that are doing a lot of good work, but not really asking for any of uh, anything back in, in return for that value. Um, and one thing I'm focusing on this year, you know, I'm not going to be chasing money, but at the same time, I'm going to really understand what my value is to um the sport so you know when you're going to an event even if the um narrative so far is that okay i'm going to go to an event um, i'm going to volunteer and i'm not going to get paid actually if we want this sport to improve when we really value the people that um that come along if that's officials if that's athletes if that's fans or um you know even people that are doing commentary if we're really valuing those people, then we need to, you know, show that sort of monetary incentive. So there's another number, number of different things that, um, you know, I have written down, but as we all find out, they either, they, they will change. Um, but New Year's resolutions is always a, always an interesting one. And especially for runners as well, they might set theirself like time targets and things like that. And I think that, you know, it's, it's really good going forward. Have you, have you got a, a lot of interaction sort of um, with a lot of um, your followers around their New Year's resolutions and perhaps um, their plans as well? I actually haven't asked that. I really should because that's a good
1: post idea. I feel like there as an <laughs> Instagram engagement person, I'd actually so I can imagine you get a lot of comments on that. So that'd be quite good to do. I feel like a lot of people, like a lot of my followers, they're so different, like different ages and stuff. And it's, it's funny being on social media because in the comments section, in the DMs, you get such different opinions. Like It's crazy how much people have different opinions. And I think for my younger audience out there, maybe a bit more influenced Especially in the U.S., they're sort of influenced by maybe old-fashioned way of thinking in terms of training sessions and stuff like that. So some of their like ideas about training, I think it's probably bad to set New Year's resolutions on that, especially yeah. at such a young age. Uh, in terms of running, anyway. But then others, like I think a lot of them would be consistency. And I think knowing, like speaking to my followers, not about New Year's resolutions, but just in general, it's always about actually getting training done, like on a consistent basis. So I can imagine there'll be the the things but yeah i'm definitely gonna ask that because wow the, the instagram <laughs> yeah. statistics are
0: screaming in my head so. <laughs> yeah i think it's looking um you know more into into detail of yeah what where you can get the engagement from and and you know one one thing that we've done today is get really good engagement off um this post you know i often look at um Sort of governing bodies and main uh, media outlets for their their content and what they're looking for, and you know I felt that um, there was some really good comments or, or just ones that made me laugh really on on Facebook with an Athletics Weekly post. Um, which is around, you know, what um, what are you looking forward to, or you know, what would be your biggest surprise of 2022, or something like that. Um, and some of some of the comments were outrageous. You know, like someone saying uh, seeing Oscar Pistorius pull up with a calf injury, and I just thought you've actually typed that out and sent it. And put it on Facebook, and I was like that is just that 's just madness, but then other people saying that you know they want to see um you know officials being paid, they want to see uh you know higher level athletics shown on on t v and things like that, and these are the sort of comments that we're getting in the um, the comment section, but from the top, I think you know perhaps it's helpful for you know, myself and, and you, Alfie, to talk through a couple of things that we see or have seen um, and the things that we'd really like to see in 2022. So I'll, I'll throw that question to you and I guess uh, you can give us a, a little answer. So what would you like to see in track and field in 2022? I think at the
1: number one top spot thing I'd like to see is a more uniform content outlet. And by that, I mean, at the minute, we've got so many, I guess, like different accounts, different outlets working to like, Working separately. So myself, for example, you, for example, in America, you've got uh, Ben Crawford, New Generation Track and Field. You've got Cities Mag. There's so many outlets. Whereas the ones like Flow Track and I guess Runner Space fit into that category as well. The larger outlets, they're sort of having a barrier where we can never compete with them because they have the staff. So unless we work together as an outlet and have like a uniform structure, I, I think there's going to be a discrepancy in what we can put out and keeping consistent enough to actually drive the sport forward. I don't really like using that term, drive the sport forward. I guess just create more engagement and more exposure. So I, I think that's the main thing I want to see in 2022 is communication between podcast hosts, content creators. Collaboration and communication, I guess, would be the, the main one. And I, I'm sure I can go deeper into that in a second. Um, but, yeah, that, that's probably my number one.
0: Um Yeah. Top one. That collaboration is so important. I actually think that if you're not sharing ideas, it's uh, it's massively I guess, detrimental to to any progress and and someone who's got one idea and it's shared um you know that an idea in your head is literally just an idea and you can't really do too much with it without that execution Um, and i guess it's what you mentioned earlier about implementing ideas you know once that is is shared then then you're able to do that in my in my day job um you know our company is called eight billion ideas and our main aim is to um is to get people thinking more creatively and actually collaborate more and we've seen a lot of schools doing a lot of different things and they're not collaborating on the ideas so I think that everyone's got really good ideas. There's no doubt about that. Everyone's got a good imagination. But actually, what are they doing with that? And how are you getting that, like you say, uniform content so that, you know, nothing's really wasted because everyone seems to be working really hard. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I think um, for me, like the top spot would would be coverage because I think one of the main things that I look for in in sport in general is that if I'm, if I'm flicking through on a day-to-day basis and I'm going through sky sports, like I've seen it recently, I think on BT sport. And they come up with like five or six um, different sports that, you know, you perhaps would never have heard of. Like, uh, I don't even know. I think there was like, there's curling coming up or something, or the darts has been massively, massive recently. And it's had great coverage. And, you know, you'd argue that not a lot of people can relate to a darts match because they might have played the game in in the pub, but they don't do it to a, to a high level. But for runners, there's a lot of runners in the world. <laughs> like, there is so many people that are, you know, going out for their, their run to try and get their 5K time or 10K or whatever it might be but where are they then consuming that, you know, that high level running content and actually you don't have it. So I think for me, coverage is, is up there. I think, you know innovation in the sport as well just trying out new ideas is is so important because I haven't really seen much um, you know many new things Um, and then the third thing really as always with with my podcast and my platform is that personal side so getting to know the athletes and the fans on a more personal level to to sort of really give a bit of um, perspective to the sport Um, you know if if commentators don't know anything about the athletes then it makes racing pretty boring but if they know what they have for breakfast or how many pillows they sleep with um, which are random questions often asked like that is just a bit more interesting um and just fills out the boring like and they've done another lap and they've done another lap but anyway they're probably my top three
1: yeah i, I think sort of jumping on the back of that coverage thing i don't know if everyone has watched this i'm gonna sort of give a brief context of it there's the f1 documentary drive to survive on netflix and i know that's been spoken a bit about in the running community because Subco said um they're working on something behind the scenes i'm hoping that's gonna be great but what they've done is phenomenal because first of all they follow a different team per episode so every single member like of the grid that there's 20 races 24 races 20 i can't remember but like every single member of that grid you have an insight into their life and then it doesn't it doesn't become it's not just a race who's winning who's first and second it's a race of a race within a race so are let's say daniel ocardo going to get into the points and it's the same as in running let's say it works on america because there's team events but let's say there's a sixth team counter in a race what's getting coverage and you're actually paying attention to that sixth person in that team and you're not just Mm -hmm. paying attention to what's happening at the front because that's the thing what we're i think losing a lot in this sport and also it's fact that most of the time and this means no disrespect to the east africans most of the time the people at the front we don't know anything about because east Africa. it's a dominated sport by east africans obviously it's different now with Britson. I guess, like Laura Muir in the 15, Afing Mo in the 800, Keith Hutchinson, et cetera. But in reality, it doesn't have to be an East African either. We don't really know the people who are winning. So as soon as you get races within a race and stories of, oh, wow, they just got a personal best. Like, unless you're someone like me or you who's a really fan of the sport, no one's going to know what happened with the person who came sixth, if it is well or not. So I think that's huge, like context of what's actually happening. And that just comes straight in with coverage. I mean that's something pretty simple that we could get sort of straight away. Maybe not a Netflix star documentary. I mean, you've seen it with SWAT Elite videos at the minute. Yeah. If they make a series, it. if they make a series before a diamond league with three runners who are racing the same race, you know exactly what's happening in that race and how each of those runners are going to be forming. And you'll know what's going through their head and knowing if they're happy or not. And right
0: now mm. we don't have that at all. Yeah, so, yeah. Also, even in um, if we dive deeper on the coverage side, because I think that's probably that's towards the top of our main agenda, really. I think when you are watching, you know, if you ever get it on TV, if you're on a red button or you're on a, a BT Sport, SPN 2 plus 5, 9XE, like if you're on one of those channels, then you know, there's a lot of time that you could use to, you know, dive into a little video that 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 individual athlete has done themselves or their Instagram profile or a quick little VT that they've done beforehand. And, you know, the content's out there, like you said, there's a lot of people that are doing a lot of good stuff, but it's not always being used on the, the sort of mainstream level. I think also one of the important points is like, the engagement of people that don't like athletics. So like you mentioned, you know, we're probably going to know most of the names on the start line. And even, and even if we don't, like we're going to have a good idea of the majority. Um, but let's take my mum, for example. I always always think of my mum as like, how can I get her to an athletics event and love it? Not just because I'm there running, but because she loves athletics. Um, and I think that, you know, the main thing is, is perhaps you know, the interaction Uh, actually at the event and what is there outside of running that people will enjoy like at the darts for example I don't think anyone's going there for their love of darts it's the atmosphere Mm. it's the the social event the culture the dressing up you know everything that goes with it the lights the glam the, the celebrations and actually with athletic I think we don't we just we just really lack that a lot of comments have been about like sort of beer and drinking culture that doesn't really, you know, often happen in athletics. And I think that that could help. Um, But I think there's a number of other things that you could include as well. That is, you know, part of people's regular enjoyment when they go out um, that could, that could be really exciting. Yeah. Well, I think relating to that as well, like firstly, just back to the coverage side of things as well,
1: City Smag did it perfectly last year. They did an event, they invited photographers, they invited Emma Abrahamson to do interviews so instead of dead space between races, they had her, they pan to her, who did an interview. By the time she'd finished her interview, it was pretty much time for the next race. So it mm. fills so much dead space, what normally time people would click off or get uninterested. And then when there wasn't that, they'd pan back to the studio and they talk about the race, talk about the next race and who's actually in it, rather than just going, this is this, this is this. Like, no one cares about that. And then they had different shots, different drones and invite content creators. So I just wanted to mention that briefly because I think that was a perfect example of what to do. But yeah, in terms of how you said, like people actually enjoying a race and the atmosphere, the two most hyped races I've ever been to was Books Crush Country and yeah. Armar 5 5K. And Armar 5 5K was because the streets were lined with everyone who's gone to that event for the reason. And they know what was happening. They're all super fans of the sport and knew exactly what was happening. And afterwards, everyone went to the same restaurant to have a meal or like at the hotel and then books 5k. I mean, it's like a party, but it's also like a team event. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's like the people are highly engaged and that's what creates the most excitement. And we need to make an event out of these things rather than say, uh, I'm going to go to Trafford BMC today or a random race. Let's say if you're an American, a random race somewhere, it's going to race, going to warm down, go home. Yeah. 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 You know, it's even in diamond leagues, you see it and it's like, what's happened now. I've just seen athletes run around a track. Diamond league do interviews and they have them on a file. They don't show them during the coverage. I don't know if yeah, it's because the rights. Yeah. I don't know if they have enough time, but just shows the interviews, mm-hmm. and they don't. So yeah, I think it's. I guess you could sort of group that into excitement and interest, and give, giving fans reasons to actually enjoy it. Because as much as I'm a fan of the sport, I still don't find it fun watching lap after lap after lap
0: after lap after lap, after yeah. lap. and that's just not enjoyable.
1: So yeah
0: yeah that's yeah i think you know off off the top i think that's um for for us that's that's the main real reasons really it's that engagement side and uh and the coverage as well and i think what we can do is probably jump to a few of the you know listeners uh comments and questions and basically just go through like a few of them um so it's been great to have a lot of the engagement from both you know my community your community and, and then bring that together as well so uh one of the points that is mentioned by Isabel Bryan. is saying the UK needs to uh, needs to start doing DMR relays. Okay, so it almost touches on that a bit of that point of you know the sort of team atmosphere that you might have with the Bucks that really creates that uh, that energy in the crowd. Um, Alfie, I know that you've sort of um you know your vested interest in, in the US. They obviously do the DMR a lot over there. Firstly just just for those that may not know what it is, do you want to quickly explain what the, the DMR relays are?
1: Yeah I best make sure I don't mess this up now. It's basically sounds for really- <laughs> distance medley relay and it is a 1200 meter a 400 meter then an 800 meter and then a mile i think i have got that right it might be eight yeah and i four. think so. i'm pretty sure it's but yeah. yeah um you get the gist and basically what that does is first of all it gets a team america do that very well everything is team orientated the collegiate system and the NCAA's. um but what they do is it gets the middle distance runner, the 15 runner with an eight runner, also with a sprinter. So basically in in reality, the first three legs don't really mean that much. Most of the time, it's about the miler who's on the last leg, but those first three sort of break down the field a bit and also add sprinters into it. So then sprinters are invested. I think that's a big thing because we're so ses- separate. When we have things like that, you can get more people investors. So yeah, i 100 percent agree with that i think firstly the dmr in the uk or anywhere because really the usa is the only place that has it it gets a, a more team aspect to it straight away because there's four runners it's a relay and also it adds something that we haven't seen before and it's a lot more exciting because you get to see a different like different pace all the way through and because it's like what eight minutes nine minutes i think it's fast paced all the way through it's not slow and yeah. there's always something interesting there's different races within races again so yeah, that, that's basically the gist of the DMR. So I 100% yeah. agree with. Was it Isabel on that? Isabel, yes. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, and and again, it, it probably comes down to you know with with those with those races, you could even bring in that personal side of the interviews before beforehand to actually introduce the teams. Now, to make a really exciting DMR, you don't need um, you know like 20 people on the start line. You probably only need four or five teams. Now, if you can get absolutely you know, in terms of the content that you're creating there, it's not really that much. And and I think the athletes especially I'm, I, I've am i never met an athlete that doesn't want the exposure and doesn't want more exposure for either themselves or um, perhaps other athletes so I think if you went to them and said you're running in the DMR with this team we're going to interview or whatever I think that would be super exciting and actually it just again it just fills that time um that, that sort of dead space in between
1: 100 i yes. think
0: that's a good uh, idea and uh so from joe wigfield who is a fan of both of ours i think which is good fun he said uh we need more of a social environment um with music music at comps and betting as well so a couple of points there so we've got that social environment which i assume just means drinking uh, that's you know he's, he's a scouse man that's obviously what he means music uh competitions and then betting as well so we've seen i guess we've seen that few more drinks has been involved in uh, events like the night of the 10k pbs as well as i guess the music is, is very much a part of that we've also you know we used music at the um we, we were both there actually at the birmingham uh, track series and i think that that just just provides a little bit more you nodded your head there because you had a you didn't enjoy the race but <laughs>
1: i, I enjoyed i enjoyed the
0: 3k but the 10k at birmingham was my last race oh, okay I yeah that, yeah. So that was no, just bad memories but <laughs> okay but then, for, so on the, I guess, the social side and then also betting as well, um, which is something that's a little bit, um, you know, I, I, it's never really been too involved in in running, but um, but what are your thoughts on those, those two? So I think it'd be good to speak about these on a business side of things as well yeah,
1: and like the feasibility of them. So first of all, social side, absolutely. That's a given. Easy to do as well. You just get people who know each other in the right place and that environment creates itself. You need to have a fun environment again and you also need to have, Races are this is what I hate the most where it's like a 1500, then a 5K, then a 1500, then an 800. Have it where the 800s are all together, the 1500s are all together, the five, the, the races need to go in order because yeah. then you have the. If if it's like spread out, chances are you're gonna have a lot of people warming up for different events at the same time. And the spectator level just goes down completely because friends who maybe will be racing a fifteen won't be able, they'll then be able to cheer for their friends who are racing the five K because they're warming up at different times. That just doesn't make sense to me. Like have it have it where it's different because then the spectators are spectators and it's not jumbled up. So that's sort of the social side. And then I guess drinking is on top of that and the social side. In the UK, we're quite lucky because in America I know it's quite hard because it's normally insurance based off schools so you can't have alcohol on the school premises or high school if you want to call it that in america which is just secondary school but yeah so in america it's hard in the uk and i'm sure most places in europe it's absolutely fine so yeah that's the drinking side of things obviously again increases revenue on the door helps helps pay for hiring out the track helps pay for camera equipment whatever and then you've got um betting side of things again. In America, it's a bit more tricky because it's more legislation there. In the UK, and I think most places in Europe, I think Podium 5K did it actually last year. They had um, betting for first and then betting for the top three, like horse racing, basically. I think that's a great idea. I know some people don't enjoy it. You need to be, it's a fine line because you don't want to get people just to come and watch it who are addicted to betting just so they have another gambling outlet. But also, again, it creates races within races. You're not just paying attention to who's winning, you're paying attention to who might become third. Or if you have like prop, is it called prop betting where you can bet on pretty
0: much anything yeah, that happens? Like, I think so, yeah. You, you basically just decide um, what you're betting on uh, and you could know, bet who comes fifth or something like that.
1: Yeah. Or who runs, how many athletes run under four minutes. I yeah, think yeah. that would be good. For one, it gets more people interested in different races. And also it gives a sort of an insight into beforehand. So if you're checking the odds beforehand, you you automatically know who's the favourite. You automatically know who might have good odds. You automatically know who might be an underdog. So yeah, I think again, and also revenue. What Mm. what sport doesn't have betting? What's the richest paid sports in the world? Basketball, football, boxing. Three of their main revenues is betting, especially boxing.
0: Um, So yeah, yeah, it makes sense massive point really and I also think that um you know when it comes down to like interest or engagement of the sport through people that may not be you know really keen runners if you've got someone that's looking at odds and they're thinking well I could make 200 pounds out of this race they're then looking at the list of eight people that are lining up and they're, they're probably going down the list and they're going right who's odds on favorite then they're typing them in YouTube then they're having a quick video on what they've done you know for their training session then you you know that incentivizes people to go and film people's training sessions or put more content out because you're you know you're trying to increase your odds of, of winning so um you know I'm, i've never never betted and that well I, I probably have but um you know i've been to a few casinos and stuff so that means i definitely have um but what i mean is that i'm not very good at it <laughs> so uh, but I, I do feel like you know if there was an opportunity there for me to either bet on a mate or bet on someone in the athletics community that i knew And i could make money out of it then you'd have a more vested interest and i just think that that'd be you know a lot more exciting so i think wiggy's right there on on many accounts and and actually um i think it just really helps it would help the sport in general and the worst thing that you can do is test it out and see if it works or not and if you don't test it then you probably can't knock it
1: yeah i think that's a big especially in this sport it's a bit old-fashioned and people can't do that it's not what we used to do and i just think anyone says that just get in the bin like you need to innovate yeah. you need to try new things yeah, so if it yeah. doesn't work it doesn't work you need to try it and It's
0: just as simple as that you're not going to want to share a little so. story with you i'm not going to name who it was but i was speaking to someone at the bmc um because i'm going to i'm actually coming up to you i'm coming to come to sheffield at the weekend and i was asking them basically you know about you know could i come and do a bit of promotion for them beforehand could i do a bit of interviews and they had something sorted out already which is fine um but i did sort of ask i said um you know are you planning to uh release some of the you know the start lists and the people that are racing because we can we can definitely do some posts on it and they're actually against putting out sort of start lists and you know increasing the promotion of the athletes that they have racing just in case the athlete doesn't turn up now i find that a bit of a challenge because you know obviously if you um promote the fact that you've got jenny nesbitt or jake whiteman racing this weekend that's probably going to engage a lot more people to firstly sign up and second of will come and like even if they drop out it's you know it's helpful to know who's going to be racing or not so that was that was genuinely one thing what do you reckon on that Alfie? because i was just sitting there going well you know it doesn't really matter if they run or not it's about the promotion of the event and just getting that build up well i got let into that bmc so i don't want to be too mean about
1: it because i'm doing the free. Yeah, fair trip, enough yeah you will get kicked off <laughs> yeah I, I didn't see the entry list and i've seen I've, obviously i know quite a lot of people who've entered and it's going to be it's a stacked field i 100 agree i was thinking about this i think it was last year when we did can't remember the name but it was some 5ks and we did interviews before and in reality people are gonna that's gonna come and go no one's gonna know what's happened it'll come down to me maybe posting it as a general thing on trackster yeah. and that's how people see the results and you're not gonna have any information beforehand and I think that's from BMC's point of view, intent of just trying to cover their backs and not get any controversy whatsoever, which is fine if they want to do that. But yeah, if, if someone doesn't race, it's a, it's a sport. How many times have people promoted like a football match? Like, oh, it's Messi versus Ronaldo. And one of yeah. them gets injured or one of them pulls up. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's yeah, not yeah, like yeah. it's...
0: Happens all the time. It's not.
1: Yeah, it's not like you're saying this is definitely going to happen. Hmm. If, and if, to be honest, if anyone is agrees to do an interview before the race then they're probably going to race and they've agreed to do an interview even if they don't race they're going to be fine with that it's not like if i said i'm yeah. racing and i pulled out i'm not gonna like, oh can't believe that guy interviewed me i'm so annoyed
0: like people <laughs> yeah. are going to hate me now because i didn't race it's, I just... it, does, it doesn't really work that way around and actually you know i feel like it's a bit of positive pressure for that that person you know if you put your let's say that you map out like a lot of athletes do they will map out their whole year for the races they're going to do and then you know, a bluebird comes up and they're able to go and race abroad or something like that. That happened a lot last year where they were about able to travel a bit more. If that happens, that's fair enough. But then it just gives you the opportunity to go to the athlete and say, oh, you know, I was really interested why he dropped out of that race. Why was it? Oh, it's because I was going abroad to, you know, run at X, Y, Z. James West, for example, when we did the Bromley Twilight meeting, he was doing the 3K with Mark Scott, Alex Yee, uh, Johnny Davies and Phil Sessaman. When they were doing that race, uh james was actually like on the brink of being able to run at monaco so like he could have been dropped out of that race however we were doing the promotion for it and he was up for the race and mark was up for the race and all of these sort of things so you know you never really know uh, how much um that can impact because you know th- there's not going to be any pushback if someone drops out of a race but actually a bit of positive pressure that's applied you know might be helpful um and just gives again back to what what i wouldn't really want to show is that positive side again but yeah, I think really you did a great imp- job. Really important part. Just, just yeah. wait for another
1: question. I, like the, you, the, the pre Euros podcast where you got everyone pretty much and interviewed them and it was just that bite-sized context. Like I knew exactly what people were going for. And I think that's just huge. Like, especially when people with big budgets like the BMC can't do that. When we're re- we're waiting around for races for so long, watching that live stream, yeah. why not just throw some more context in there? Some more interviews mm-hmm. with the British athletes, the Olympics, the reason why they gained so many followers, the reason why Keeley gained so many followers um, is because they actually create a story and that's because it's the
0: Olympics. If we don't create a story around it, other times... And you don't know what's going on yeah and that's just and, and a simple fact thank, yeah thank you mate i do appreciate it and i think that those those little bite-sized ones are, are really important um and just gets it again just that um that helpful side of the athlete i think you know my mindset going into any any race like when we went up to mansfield and did a few post-race interviews my mindset there is that there are 12 year old kids that their national championships is the olympics that is the olympics for them so how can we make it you know good as experience as possible so whenever i go into a um, you know an interview or like a little conversation with uh, you know really really young kids you know i 'm always thinking right, how can I make this their Olympics because at the end of the day they're national champions, so they should feel special about it so podium 5 k I always love Chris Barnes when he comes through a comment because it's it's touching on controversial, but I just get excited um, so he said uh, he wants an injection of younger people organizing competitions there's way too much dead wood in the way. <laughs> what do you reckon he's on, pretty old Chris... though so I, I don't know what he's saying there 40, ages 43 there. i think i think that would be harsh on uh on him to say he's, he's old i think there's people double his age in uh in athletics at the moment yeah <laughs> I, I guess he means by that he wants people with innovative ideas
1: and sort of a, a new outlook on i guess i don't want to say like something cringe, like the new age of mm. entertainment but you know what yeah. i mean like you want people who are going to do it a bit differently i'm guessing that's what he means by that um i think the problem, again, the feasibility of it, we're looking at both sides because I want to play a bit of devil's advocate here. Um, yeah, of course. It, obviously, he knows the back back end of it because he's, he does it, but the structure of actually putting on an event, I think we need someone who's experienced in making sure that they can do that or someone who maybe researches that to make sure they know what's going on. But I 100% agree with the fact that things need switching up. I think younger people would provide sort of an insight, even if they're not like us, like who maybe enjoy the social media side, sort of focus on that. Even if they are an athlete who is competing now and would know what they want to do. I think that's very important Um, because I know a lot of things I'd change even before I started trackster. Like, I don't know why I said trackster like that. Even before I said that, like, there's things I'd change as just as an athlete racing. So even if it's not the younger people doing it, I think there needs to be more of a discussion about what the younger people want in terms of the structure of races and stuff like that. If that makes sense. Hopefully, that answers it. Yeah, uh, well, I guess I it's it's sort it?
0: of um, looking more consumer centric. You know, if you if you want to look yeah. at it from a business point of view, that the consumer itself. If you're, you know, going into, um, you know, you've got two consumers really in, in races, haven't you? You've got the fans that are watching it, and you've got the athletes that are competing. You know, how can you yeah. really focus in on that? And I do think that sometimes. You know, rules and regulations, how important they may be, do get in the way sometimes. I was um, on the way back from the Olympic trials and I was speaking to someone who was a British athletics official and, um, you know, she actually said that, you know, official, without officials, you know, the sport wouldn't exist. And that, it's comments like that where I'm just like, without the athletes and without the fans, the sport wouldn't exist. So, you know, the, the, the officials are there because the athletes are there to race and because the supporters are there. So... I think sometimes that, that just narrative, that, that rhetoric is just a, always a tough one to, to challenge. I just want to interject
1: here. And this is going to be controversial because
0: Ooh.
1: <laughs> the officials and yes, the volunteers and my granddad was an official. He's not anymore because it's a hard job to do. Like you are volunteering your day, you're not getting paid. You, may, you might get a free goodie bag of lunch with a, like one of those paper bags with a cheese sandwich and yeah, an yeah. apple and some crisps. Officials are generally pretty awful. They, they're generally bad. But again, you can't really complain because it's free. Why do we need so many? And so, by that, I mean, I'm sure everyone who's lined up for a race in the UK knows there's probably two people on the start line an official, maybe taking the numbers, and another official who's ready to fire the gun. They then blow a whistle to the other side of the track. You know, you've got six, seven timekeepers putting their arms up. Obviously, more now we've got photo, uh, what's it called? Chip time, not chip timing. Um,
0: yeah, like photo finish and yeah, electronic, electronic timing. timing. Yeah.
1: Um, you don't really need timekeepers as much. But like, why do we need someone, like two people on the start line? Why do we need someone checking numbers? Why do we need someone checking if you've got your shirt tucked in? I've had so many races where someone's literally just there to tell me you need your t-shirt tucked in so I can see your side number. The the abuse power quite a lot as well and like stupid regulations. I think more planning needs to go through to making the event go fluid and that for reducing the number of officials we need drastically. And due to that, having a better event, I mm. do think also with that field and track should be separate or broken up. So I know it saves time having field on while tracks going on. It's a bit easier. But if you have officials who do the track side of things and then you have those same officials do the field side of things, you're going to get a lot less officials and need a lot less officials. Which is, I think, what we struggled with a lot in COVID. We haven't been able to get officials because they're all generally old and mm. a bit more at risk at COVID. Therefore, they haven't been available. Rightfully yeah. so because they're, they're not. They're not. Don't want to risk their life for something they're not getting paid for um yeah of course it's my hot take on officials quickly i can't remember where that started i just want no to no
0: it's, it's fair enough and actually pulls on a point that um that came through around you know they want to see officials getting paid now this is a, an interesting point and, and when you talk about difference between having you know track officials that then aren't able to do the field at the same time if you had that separate not only do you need less officials because they can do two jobs because they're very qualified to do it i asked the guy i said how long does it take you to get your level three qualification he said you can do it within three years i was like three years and these guys don't even get paid so you know there's no incentive for us you know our age to go yeah i really want to be an official um you know it's people that want to give back to the sport but yeah so by having um one set of let's say one set of officials like less amount and then they do track and field you get better quality officials doing that work and then you get a more seamless event and what that does also is it it gives an opportunity for you know if the the, um, commercial side of the sport increases where we've implement all the ideas that we've got where you know someone's paying um entry because uh, or entry to the actual venue because there's an atmosphere it's exciting they're paying you know a certain amount of money to kiosks that have got um you know shoes or kit or beers or whatever it is that they're then giving a percentage back once you get all of that you have a small pot that you can then offer to the officials and it'll be you know very worth their while um i even was doing a few notes off the back of a um the sunday podcast um that was done with a guy called kevin and they actually talked about how you know the event can make money and and i looked at it and i thought how many officials do you really need to run an event and i do think that if you had a pot of four or five hundred pounds you could fund the officials um you know, for, for that whole session. So I think there's, there's a number of different points. I think, you know, you're right in saying that the, um, there's a barrier to having a high quality event because of the the age of officials and actually because they've never asked to get paid. I literally, I asked this guy who who's a, he used to be a coach now, an official, and I said, um, you know, he, he brought up the point about getting paid. And I was like, that's a really interesting point. Um, have you ever asked any events to to pay you? And he said, no, because it's not the done thing. Um, and coaches don't get paid either and i think if that's the narrative and that's the whole mindset that you know we don't we we've never got paid therefore we can't ask like at least ask you know at least try and, and see you know what can happen because if you work really hard to be one of the best officials that you can be then you should be rewarded with that not just so that you can go to a bigger event like you know the british champs or a diamond league but so that you can really get that recognition so yeah there's a there's our two pennies on um, on some officiating, um, but yeah, um, we've got a couple more. I know we've got to wrap up, um, but one of the other things is sort of like um, a bit more coverage around county champs which is an interesting point because I guess it's um, it is more focused on the UK. Um, obviously we will have people from America listening and, and around Europe, but um, you know, in terms of having County championships and maybe regional events, that's a really important thing for us to to push on. And it's more of the grassroots level. That's not looking the elite side. Alfie for you, where could sort of we improve with that County champ stuff and, and does it need to improve basically?
1: Um, so first of all, bear in mind I live and for anyone who's outside of, the uk i live in yorkshire so yorkshire is the biggest county in the uk i don't know if it's biggest by population it's probably second behind uh is london a county technically or is uh, like that that area yeah yeah yeah. you know what i mean and my county champs is horrendous sometimes you might get two people in a race Um, and i think what lacks is their incentive to compete in them especially at the older ages but the younger ages it's probably like you said it's like their olympics not to be cliche but like if you if you're under 11 like to a 10 year old yeah Yorkshire's wow like it's the counties like most of the time you've done like domestic city stuff but there's no incentive to compete for like I wouldn't go and do my Yorkshire's I'm not doing my Yorkshire cross country at the weekend I'm doing a time trial and a three k what means technically nothing like if I if I win the race which I won't but if I did I wouldn't gain anything if I came last I wouldn't whereas the Yorkshire's I get the title of county champion there's no incentive so there's no progression after that there might be we want you to come and run this race what's uh inter-county track race i sure there is some of them but like again it's a meaningless event what's no coverage whatsoever so first of all having an incentive to actually compete and qualify for something what's next I think that's a big thing and that there would drive bigger competition and over the years as develops you'd get higher quality of athletes competing and you'd also get a lot of those athletes who are shooting their goals who maybe aren't there nationally yet We'd be like, I want to try and qualify or run well at the counties, mm. which will then just progress them and progress them. So it's like another stepping stone. And also coverage. <clears throat> Maybe in some counties what are smaller, you'd have regional areas. But let's just say you had North West England rather than just, you know, Humberside, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you'd, you know, so you'd, like, you'd probably split into quadrants a bit better. And then you'd have, again hoping that the high profile athletes will compete due to the incentive of competing um, due to the qualification and progression. And then also you'd have, I'm sure if it's less counties or less regions, you'd have the ability to cover each one and maybe compare the times across each one as well. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Massively important. And you know, uh, yeah, Casey Hughes sent that question in and I think it's a really good one to, to bring up because it, it matches up the, elite side that we've been talking about and the grassroots as well um and I do think that there there aren't many incentives to go and compete for um your county champs I guess like for our southern championships that used to be absolutely massive like it used to be huge to go and compete there and actually now like for for those southern champs you'd get very very few numbers um you know a friend of mine Stuart Brown who's at at Tunbridge he competed at the southern champs um, and I think he came he came second to our our other Tunbridge guy, and you know he was in a fifteen hundred where it was it was one in like four flat, um, and Stuart's a three fifty three guy. So he's you know he's the best in the south of England running three fifty three, which is you know twenty seconds twenty five seconds slower than um, the best in the country. So you know there's not knocking any of the performances there, but it's just talking about the level and and where are the incentives at um, for something like that. Um, so yeah, I think. We've covered a lot there and and it has, you know, generally, I think if we're talking about improvements in the sport, it can often come across as negative. But what I think is really important to do is put a positive spin on it and say that, Everything we're saying is coming from a point of optimism. And, you know, these things that we're talking about don't take millions of pounds to do. They don't take um, hours to to do it. But what it does is it just gives us a bit of food for thought for what we can do this year. And especially coming back to the main points we talked about around collaboration between, between platforms. Um, Also the coverage and then just offering a bit more of the human side behind the athletes itself. You know, Alfie, for you, is there anything else that um, perhaps you'd like to add and and maybe uh, bring a bring a positive end to what's been, uh, I think, quite a constructive conversation?
1: Yeah, and I, I know obviously I'm the reason we've got time constraints, so but I am <laughs> I've got a few more minutes, so I can Good I man. can t- touch on this because I, I wanted to speak about this earlier, and it's somewhat positive, and then I can sure and elaborate to make it a bit more positive. But I want to speak about sort of the big dogs, the commercial dogs, like commercial dogs that make sense. But the big dogs at the minute in the UK, it's sort of with coverage race racers, and they make their money by events paying them to film and also add revenue on the website. I'm not sure that's very high. I don't know. could be wrong. Um, don't think they do a very good job promoting their races. If they had a bigger team, like giving context, I'm sure they get a lot more views. Don't know where that lies. That's a conversation we need to have with Matt Quinn, I believe it is. Um, so there's that side of things. But the reason I want to bring in the big dogs, but Flowtrack, for example, and I know they get a lot of stick and I hate them for half of what they do, especially on the copyright side of things. But I think we can learn yeah, a lot yeah. from them in terms of their commercial side. I know people really like to hate on a paywall and I want to talk businessy for a second as well. So this might get a bit confusing, but at the end of the podcast, if people are still listening, they're here. Yeah, they're educated individuals. They're hardcore listeners. They're legends, absolute legends, every single one of you. Exactly. Um, (laughs) But it's just like payment walls. In any other sport, you're you're paying Sky Sports subscription to watch football. You're paying a BT subscription to watch football. I'm sure in America, you're you're paying a subscription to watch ESPN stuff. So why is it so frowned upon in our sport? to pay a subscription to watch the races and now here's the problem with the flow track subscription the runner space subscription is you don't know what you're paying for because it's so different every week so we need a structure so the, the the payment wall side of things is great for cash flow for the company so they can hire employees they sort of know they've got a monthly subscription they know what they're getting if you charge it yearly for a discount you get even bigger cash flow which is good again you can invest plan for the future um, it's just a bit of business stuff there and I'm interested with FlowTrack in particular. I believe their subscription is quite substantially high. And I'm interested in, I'm not sure if you're aware of this term, but the price elasticity of demand for their products. Mm-hmm. I personally, if I knew what I was getting, and I knew I was going to get these races, I would pay a subscription if it was a bit less. And I honestly think their price elasticity of demand, which is essentially how much the demand for the product or service would change depending on the price of the product. So if it goes yeah. down... If the price elasticity is high, that means it's going to change more. And I think that would happen. I think if they re- reduce their prices, they would earn more profit because more people would buy. Yeah, And I truthfully think that I would buy it if I knew as well I was going to be able to watch this race, this race, this race, and also have this information. So I think that needs to happen. Uh, I don't know if FlowTrack are going to be the ones to do it because they're sort of, I guess, a dead wood. I think I hate them so much, so that's a different <laughs> thing. But I think that needs to happen, <laughs> and people need to stop hating on payment walls as much providing that they're affordable because I think you would make more money and also providing that you have a structure of I'm getting this in February. I know I'm getting this. I'm mm-hmm. getting this in March, April, May, and also having substitutes, like maybe free training plans added. Cause that's the thing. It's the beauty of this, this sport. And with us, like I could go and speak to Mo Farah in the DMs. Like I've spoken yeah. to Mo Farah. And if let's say one week, I was like, there's not many races going on this month and you're still paying for subscription. So I'm going to do an interview with Mo Farah or mm-hmm. I'm going to do I'm going to speak to this guy. Maybe we'll try and offer free coaching for a month if you want that training plan in that subscription or do another article. And just add, just create add-ons what don't cost me anything to make, like making content's free most of the time. Or So then you add that to the subscription as well. I think that's the way to go. But it's just people need to get out the head of the subscription. And I think FlowTrack have given subscription payments a bad rep because everyone hates FlowTrack. So they're pretty high. Yeah, no, I think you're right.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, with that, you know, PED, that price elasticity of demand, you are looking at that that value trade off as well. Like if, if someone's going, OK, I'm going to pay £10, but I know what I'm getting. Do they value it against that £10? If it's yes, then they're going to pay the £10. If they think no, then they're likely to not. And you have to bring that price down to sort of match that up. Um, and I think that you know, perhaps FlowTrack because it's such a dominant force. It's got that, um, you know, it's sort of competitive advantage, big, big brand. Like they're able to put, bring that, um, bring that price higher, but it just gives a bit of an opportunity for someone like, look, if, if Sweat Elite, for example, turned their paywall on and it was, you know, three pound, four pound a month, I'm in, you know what I mean? Because I've, se- I've already seen what they're doing. They've, for the last three weeks, um, I think it's Matt, he's posted, you know, they posted once a day for every for, for three weeks and I'm like that is ridiculous content that mm. if like like I said to, to start with, with my new year's resolutions and sort of uh, my main aims is you know you've got to have something that you can't just always give it giving back to, and that's what I mean you know with volunteers and officials in our sport and people that are doing things for free if you keep doing that then that will always be the norm and that will always be the expectation and when someone starts asking for money you'll be like whoa, whoa, whoa why are you asking for money where actually, if we start valuing the stuff that we're doing, then people will pay for it. And then that the quality will get better because the incentives for people to get involved will be a lot higher. Yeah. And also, Sweatly is a perfect example. Obviously,
1: they have a paywall in terms of their content on their website. I think it's a bit different because I think you're limited to how many times you can view it and then you have okay. to pay. And I think they earn a decent That's amount of money from that. Um, though They've got a few staff. And then, But this video thing, they don't need to be uploading that much. Obviously, that's bad. <laughs> of it. lot, yeah. How much content in any other sport do you get that for free? Like basketball is yeah, a bit different because the rights are yeah. different and you can watch basketball for free on YouTube with the highlights afterwards. If they f- maybe uploaded once every two days or even if just hired more people, because that's what they're doing now. The YouTube is allowing them to hire the people. They share the yeah. ad revenue of that person who's filming. It's a win-win. They get more content. That person gets more money. If they then either start filming more by g- getting more people on board and putting that behind a paywall. And let's say it was £4, £5 a month or $5. And that paywall also involved a little interview with the athlete underneath, like watch your favourite shoe, watch your favourite meal, very, very quick, even if it's written. And then they added that with their other stuff. I'd pay for that as well. It's, it'd be great yeah. value for money. And well, that's got, as well be careful away their you, free
0: content. You're giving them a lot of ideas here, mate. So yeah. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, we should just, like, like I said, let's just do it ourselves you know I, I did genuinely think i thought i'm gonna drop a message to matt for sweat elite and get him down to tack and then i was like hold on i've got an iphone and i like talking let's just do it myself so that'll be the plan yeah i've had that issue a few times i think that's the same going back to the start no new value and
1: like i'm like that like i was speaking to matt about who we should film in the uk i was like yeah. i should go and do that
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, flown yeah. over here yeah i should do that um yeah completely so yeah, yeah yeah i don't yeah. want to give too many ideas away No, good man. But um, Alfie, it's been a really interesting conversation. I want to give a shout out to all of, you know, supporters and followers that, um, you know, have have supported us in in many ways, and especially in this podcast as well, sharing your ideas, because it comes down to that collaboration without, you know, your ideas here. It would be me and Alfie just having a little chat about what we think um, with no context behind it. But I actually think that um, a lot of the different ideas that have been shared today are things that, we will now go, go and, uh, and go and implement, you know, that would be the the main aim for this year. And I think that there's a couple of events that I'll, I'll definitely be involved in that. I really want to push on in terms of that commercial aspect. And there might be a a regional BMC coming up in a couple of months um, outdoors that, we're looking basically the main aim is to try and make money um, just to test if it's going to, going to happen or not. Um, So look out for that, but yeah. um Alfie, do you, you want to give yourself a quick little outro? Where can people find you on social media um if they haven't already and engage with your content?
1: Yeah. So I think I might as well give myself a little plug as well. It's just Alfie, at Alfie for personal Instagram, uh, trying yeah. to grow that, you know, athletes got to do, do that to get a contract these days. Um <laughs> Hopefully that'll happen in the next year. I don't know. But yeah, at Traxtor on Instagram, at Traxtor on anything really. I think it's either Traxtor, Traxtor underscore. Got a website as well. Not many people know that. Podcast, The Running Pod, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought, you know what? What are people going to (laughs) search? The Running Podcast. So why not call it that? So yeah, I think that's me. I'm sorry, I'm a bit sidetracked now because I've just, speaking about that, I've had this when I've spoken to other people in the business side of space of this. You just like so many ideas. So You want to get on a notepad and write them down straight after and then message. But yeah, I just appreciate everyone listening, obviously. And like you said, if it wasn't for people engaging, it'd just be two idiots talking on a on a camera about yeah. like what what would I, what would our opinion mean? And I think we've we've been fortunate enough to have this platform. I guess we've also deserved it because we've made it ourselves. But like you know, to just be able to speak about the sport and actually have people listen and people contribute to it, I think that's a big thing. And yeah, hopefully, with the right people listening and the right people having the conversations, we can do the right thing and push the sport forward.
0: So yeah, thanks for listening, everyone and uh, that's all from me 100% um, yeah same same on the side of um, of me Sam Crick12 on Instagram uh, Pod on Instagram and I've also got a website as well so you can buy merchandise off the website um, so please do go check that out um, that'd be really exciting to um, to engage with you guys rep the merch as much as possible at any of the events and um, tag us in on the Instagram but um, no thank you ever so much for listening um, this has been CrickCastPod um, which is for the athletes for the fans and for the future thanks very much for listening and we'll see you